0: And all. You just have to, there just has to be a wide range in the city, right? So mm-hmm. yes, I agree. You can't just um we, we kind of get back to going backwards into redlining, right? If we mm. choose to um put everyone in a specific area, right? Um Agreed. we don't we don't want to go backwards, history will repeat itself, and so um mixed income. Has seen a lot of success. A lot of um, properties that we have that are mixed income, people don't even know it's mixed income. They have not the slightest clue. They don't. They don't. A lot of times, like unless they go look and take a deep dive, they have no idea that we own it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure.
0: They have no idea, and that's and that's a good thing and a bad thing, right? Because one, it's a good thing because of the stigma attached to it, right? Um, we don't want anyone trying to figure out who their neighbor is or, you know, all you need to know is that there's a respect level <laughs> when you meet oh. your neighbor, you have, you know, that, that kind of throws some of that out the window right there. Yeah. And you, you have no, I, you know, if you walk through the door and you're saying, Oh, they're, they're going to be just like this, or, you know, it just doesn't, it's, it's not always the case. A majority of our program are elderly or disabled. And most people have not, don't even know that. So if you know, when kind of to your point earlier, when you're saying, oh well, you know, landlords may say, oh, people may tra- trash the unit. Or-
2: okay welcome to another episode of affordable housing and real estate investing today we are so lucky to welcome shay mock Uh, she works at the columbus metropolitan housing authority uh, as an asset manager Uh, but we know her because she used to work with dan and jared from aspen realty co uh, previously as a landlord relations supervisor but shay has a huge background of uh, working in the affordable housing space so Dane, my guest co host today, are so happy to welcome Shay. Welcome to the show, Shay. Tell hey. us a little bit about yourself. Thank and, you.
0: Thank you, thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how would you even get into the affordable housing realm, Shay? I think the, the listeners just want to get to know you a little bit better to get things started.
0: So, interestingly enough, I started in housing at the age of 14. Um, In high school, uh, you know, you have to have internship credits, those wonderful things that they make you do in high school. Um, And I decided to go to a a local apartment complex that was in the area that I can walk to from high school. Um, One of the largest um, apartment complexes in, in Columbus at the time um, it it no longer exists. Um, but I started to do um, internship there for quite a few years to gain all of my uh, internship credits, learn the business, and then once you get into housing, you just kind of never leave. Um, <laughs> that's that's truly really how it goes. If you talk to anybody that's like done housing or or even anybody that works at a housing authority across the country, most people don't just stumble across you don't go to school and go I want to work in housing or I want to do this A lot of times it's somebody you know or you ended up somebody else works in housing um, and you learn and you learn it that way. Um, I've always had a um, need to want to help people so that also played a huge role. Um, and why I stuck with housing. Um, obviously, the things that you need to survive are food, water, and shelter, right? So those are the three major things. And, and that covers every demographic. I've seen every demographic come through the doorways. I've worked in class A through C properties, affordable, tech, uh, workforce housing, subsidized housing, anything housing related, you name it, I've, I've worked in it. Um, I believe I was at a receivership. Yes, I was at a receivership before I went to CMHA. And um, if you don't know what a receivership is, it's where the big banks that own uh, lots of properties are default. They have the control on the defaults of properties. Uh, We generally would uh, take take over those properties, render them back in good condition uh, and then either resell it or manage it ourselves. So uh, got that kind of experience and then uh, transitioned to CMHA. Came into CMHA on a really, really entry-level position as a housing advisor, working in recertifications, and then kind of worked my way through the company. So uh, I've literally been in almost every department. We laugh about it all the time at work. Um, so just a vast of knowledge because I've almost touched every single department outside of maintenance. So um, whether that's applications, intake, contracting, landlord relations, rent increases, you name it, finance, now asset management, I've done it all.
1: Any truth to the rumor that they're going to be changing the name to Shea Mock, Housing Authority?
0: <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that that's the case.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and for the listener who doesn't know, CMHA stands for Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority. Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so as as uh, Kent said, Shay and I go way back by well, four or five years ago when Jared and I first uh, got started Um you know, my uh, I've told you a story a couple of times, and this is uh, you know, me giving uh, you your flowers. Shay, I love, I, I still love, like, just I'll just hit you up on a text message every, every once in a while with a well, like this morning where I, I sent her a text. I was like, Shay Mock is on the podcast with Melvin, dance, uh, new edition <laughs> dance. But uh, we met uh, when Jared and I were getting started, and being in medicine, Jared and I were used to Medicare and federal. Uh, programs. And uh, those were all a mess uh, and, and just made our lives miserable. But I stopped in, I think I set up an appointment with you, Shay, and I stopped in at the CMHA headquarters. And when I left there an hour or whatever later, my mind was blown. Like that was, it was so well run. You knew your stuff. Um, and you took the time to to educate an idiot like myself who didn't know anything about affordable housing section eight <clears throat> but wanted to learn and you made it easy and 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 you know uh i'll never forget you told us when we bought our first 20 units um i came with kind of our vision board this is what it looks like now feces in the basement molding the walls uh but this is what it's going to look like down the road <laughs> and shay has been there done that she's like okay yeah well sh- you gotta show me and <laughs> And she came out and and we, we showed it off and she was like, all right, you're my guys. And so we ran together for the next couple of years. I miss the hell out of her now because she, she got promoted and moved into a new position. I don't get to mess with her as as much. Uh, But for, for the listeners, Shay, why don't you kind of give the background on um, the housing authority and, and how, how it works with affordable housing. How, how does somebody qualify? What do you, what all do you guys do? Like, just as much information as you can get out there as possible, because I think mm-hmm. even for people like myself and Jared, who, who deal with it quite a bit, there's still some gray areas. We're not familiar with the, the inner workings. So, you know, you know, tell Absolutely. us about CMHA in particular, obviously, what you guys do, how you do it. And I'll finally shut up and let you talk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no worries. So there's I think that that's the common theme that runs throughout. uh a lot of metropolitan areas that have a housing authority is that people just really don't know where they fit in or how they qualify or what programming. The unique thing about CMHA is that we have our hands in so much. So we have uh, so many sub programs. It's not just public housing or the housing choice voucher program. We also have project-based vouchers. We have emergency housing. We have so many different things. Um, And so we deal a lot with special populations, which is what I absolutely love about us. So of course you can go through the wait list, right? Um, And go through the general section eight or housing choice voucher program. We also have what's called project-based vouchers, which is a a PBV. Um, And for anyone who does not understand what that means, basically a housing choice voucher or Section 8 voucher can go with the resident anywhere that they go. The project-based voucher stays with, is attached to the unit itself. So if you move out of the unit, it frees up space for for the next person. Kind of similar to um, public housing. Public housing, they can't take their vouchers. Um, but we are moving out of the public housing realm um, and transitioning into what's called RAD PBV and standard PBV. Um, there's just more money uh, for for us to be able to assist clients with whether it's renovations, whether it's there's just not a lot of funding sources from the government in the inside of uh, public housing for what we want to provide for uh, for the city. So with uh, project-based vouchers, we like I said, we serve a special populations. So we have senior housing, so people who can qualify strictly for senior housing. You have uh, we have mixed-income properties for families. We have, we're, we're working on something for uh, veterans, I believe right now. We have um, people who have aged out of foster care. So uh, that's actually in my portfolio, it's called Scholar House Three. And if, you know, at the when you turn 18, you don't have anywhere to go when you age out of foster care. So making specific housing for that, if they are going to college, expecting mothers. We deal with the fact that there is a high uh, infant mortality rate in the city, um, so we have programs that go for that that go with that. All of these different components for PBV vouchers have an abundance of social services that are attached to those things. So most of the time, at every single property, there are social services uh, and coordinators that are attached to every single property for those individual needs. So, for example, if we have um, Scholar, I'll just use Scholar House 3. If we have Scholar House 3, there's access to tutors. There's access to life coaches. There's access to so many different things that, that uh, they they would need to learn how to navigate. One, college. Two, adulthood. Um, finding jobs. All of those kinds of things. So it's just kind of a little bit of a lay of the land for that. And then if anyone wanted to apply for any of those particular um, properties, then they would just apply um, directly at the site. There are a list of uh, project-based units on our personal website, which means that those are buildings that we personally own. Housing Choice Voucher Program deals with the private landlords. So there is an affordable housing website that landlords post on, um, or whether it's on Apartment Finder or wherever else that that they choose to post. And then the wonderful thing about it is Columbus has a new ordinance as of July, I believe, of 2021 um, that, per, that uh, puts them as a protected class. So you cannot just deny um, a resident based on the fact that they receive subsidy from, a, from a, a third party or a third party source. It would have to be based on something else but that can't be the qualifying factor.
1: Gotcha. And so uh, again, for the listener, uh, just as a refresher, so CMHA does own its own housing. How many units uh, in in the Columbus metropolitan area? Do Do you know offhand how many you guys own now?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked. So in 2013, we have roughly about 1700 units. As of now, in 2023, we're looking at about 4,700 units. Okay. So you were selling a
1: bunch off a couple of years ago and then you are building new,
0: right? And building, right. So with our acquisitions, we have an aggressive acquisition um, stance. And the ability for us to be able to create additional housing that is outside of um, just the uh, housing choice voucher program gives us the ability to create mixed income housing, create workforce housing, create all of these different things to help feed into all of the programming that we need to have. If we just rely, you know, like many government programs, if you just rely specifically on, on that funding, um, it could be this, this much at a certain point or here at another point, and we have to be able to service all of our, all of our clients. Gotcha.
1: And then, how does uh, how does somebody qualify, and and then and, and get into, you know, if, if I'm new to town or or I'm I'm struggling, what what are the criteria that I would need to meet? How do I get that voucher or uh, program? You know, uh, and, and and then I guess how am I streamlined into one program versus a, another?
0: So you're not necessarily streamlined. You get the opportunity uh, to choose where you, what you, where you want to be. It's just going to be a matter of whether there's a wait list for that particular thing or not, right? So every household is different. So if you are, I'll just use a a, a family of three, family of three. We would calculate a voucher based on how many people are in the household, uh, the ages of uh, if you have two children. Let's just say it's a it's a mother and two children. If they're same if they're same sex, different sex, age gaps, and then that will determine the voucher the the payment standard or the voucher amount, the bedroom size for that particular person. We uh, operate based on 30% of that person's income. Um, because obviously 30% is a threshold of what you what we deem could be successful in paying all of your other bills, life things that come along. You're never supposed to pay more than 30% in rental cost. So we try to make sure that that we're there. We do give them an extra leeway of 10% if they would like, um, if they have in, if they have income coming into the household income is not a requirement. So we want to make sure that we're not steering anybody away saying that you have to have income. We we know that life happens, right? So making sure that um, anybody that we can assist, we assist them well. If you want to apply for the voucher, the regular voucher, they can just apply online and, and go into that pool. It's a lottery system. So it's not, you know, I applied today and, you know, I have to wait on my number to be called. It's a lottery. It's a lottery based system just because there's so there's so many people. We want the person that applied today to have the same opportunity as somebody who applied a year ago.
2: Wow, that's a that's a really good fact. Shay, I didn't know that was based on a lot of systems. Sometimes people just think it's a you know first come, first serve situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um so you mentioned a couple of things. You talked about the project-based voucher program, which are vouchers mm-hmm. tied to a specific building, and you have the housing choice voucher program that's tied to a tenant. Yes. Do you, you mentioned that for project-based vouchers, people can apply to those sites and, yes. and get on the wait list, just, help the listeners understand like what is the magnitude of the issue right now like for project-based vouchers how long can people expect to wait i I know you can't quote me exact time but maybe arrange my help versus how long do people might take to wait on the housing choice voucher program
0: so if i can't really give an estimate on the housing choice voucher program because it's Mm -hmm. a lottery system um so somebody can apply today and be and be chosen next week Right. Got it. Or Got it. can apply today, and it'll it'll be a couple of months to a year or so. Um, now, with the project based vouchers, um, it depends on the type of it depends on the type of property. Um, all of our uh, and location. So, all of our properties are um, spread out across the ce- the central um, Columbus area, um, including suburbs. It's not strictly for Columbus it covers the entire, pretty much the entire county. So we've done a pretty good job with going to Hilliard and New Albany's and, you know, spreading out the Grove City, et cetera, uh, to give people more opportunity. Um, if you're looking for senior housing, that's probably going to be the qu- the quickest turnaround.
2: And are we talking about years here or are we talking about months? What, what do you think
0: for We're, the senior
2: housing and
0: we're not talking about months. I I had somebody fill out an application three weeks ago, and they're in and they're moving in in two weeks. Wow. So, um, it really it really just it depends on the client. Um, to yeah. be completely honest, uh, whether it's in a location that you want, we have multiple. Mm-hmm. I'll just use seniors mm-hmm. for an example. We have multiple senior buildings throughout the city. You know, if you apply for all of them, but you don't you know, one of them is the last on your list because you don't want to live on the north end of the city, mm-hmm. you know, your family's closer to the east side of the city, then it will all really just be dependent on, on the client on, on when that becomes available.
2: Got it. How about the lottery system? Do you know how many people are actually in the lottery system right now?
0: Uh, no, but I can find out for you.
2: Oh, I'm just, yeah. am just wondering, do you think it's like thousands or hundreds
0: it's definitely thousands
2: definitely thousands good good to know um not the greatest greatest situation but maybe this is a good transition for us to understand like hey there's significant demand for housing but we want to understand from you like hey in your prior role working with landlords very very closely what type of problems did you run into in that position like any sort of challenges you can kind of Mm -hmm. tell the listeners on what the housing authority faces when you know dealing with landlords of varying sort of quality of housing. Um
0: don't housing.
1: Rip, don't rip on Jared and I here. Don't rip oh, on yeah, yeah. Jared Let me go ahead and
0: throw here. them under the bus really quick. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got some stories. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, most, most of all it's it's participation and knowledge, right? So either they don't they don't know about the program and how it works or the stigma that comes along with subsidized housing right everyone likes to use these trigger words of low-income housing right not the same as affordable housing not the same as workforce housing not the same as vash vouchers not the same like so people lump everything together right and then um a lot of times like i said it's it's active participation there are it's the government so there are things that we need right so whether I'm asking you to send me your W-9 so that I can, you know, make sure taxes are in or taken care of and yours. Um, banking information so that we can do a ACH to direct deposit. Sometimes, you know, as a business owner, which I understand, you may or may not want to share that information. And that's kind of where we've where, where we seen the most pushback Um, It's just the amount, mm -hmm, yeah, the amount of people who did not uh, want to offer up that information. At least that is what was relayed to us.
2: That is kind of wild. Um, I I would think that we're in 2023. Um, Life is a little different around digital transactions because, I mean, I get it, when Amazon first came out, you know, my parents wouldn't give me a credit card because they were afraid of identity. (laughs) But now we're in 2023. I think it's direct deposit is very common nowadays. So that's a really, really interesting problem, Shay, where landlords aren't even giving you these very administrative items to make your lives easier. Um, That's really interesting. You know, I, I never knew that would be an issue. How about the quality of products or apartments that you have seen from landlords? Like, do you see that there are a lot of you mentioned the stigma around low income housing because I have mm-hmm. faced that myself as a landlord where people are like, oh, so they're more likely to trash the home, right? Because they all think like affordable housing is guns, drugs and drama when in reality, you and I both know it's just folks like my mom who just didn't speak English and just needed a, a a launching pad. So what, what can you tell us about some of the units that you've visited? Like, are they really, really nice? Are they really, really bad? Do you see a variety? What do you think there?
0: So the great thing about us is, and I think that Dane can kind of probably uh, uh, speak to it, is we have a stringent um, inspection process. So the initial inspection, um, it should not be anything that you would not live in yourself. Right. So I communicate that with a lot of landlords over, over the years um, a lot of times, I would go out and inspect, do a pre-inspection myself. To you know, if it's a new landlord coming onto the program, if it's an existing landlord, then nine times out of ten, there's a track record. We know that you're passing inspections, et cetera. Um, but a lot of times, you'll have people who inherit properties, or um, is it's new to housing altogether, and they don't want to make whatever the fixes are that are required by the the housing quality standards those are things that are provided to us by by HUD so those things have to be those those things have to be correct and it can be something as small as chipping paint right so if you're or trip hazards inside of a house or there isn't a light switch cover um, on 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 one wall you know things things like that there's you know no caulking on uh, the it's caulking is not new newer and there's gaps between the surfaces those kind of things right so those are the kind of things that we are actively looking for on initial and recertification um our properties have uh passed a lot of inspections to the point where we were offered to do biannual recertifications so I think that we've we've been in a in a good space in regard in regards to that, but sometimes that can create a barrier with our landlords um, on hey, I need you to make these changes, or I need you to you know even if it's small things. Sometimes if you have a list of small things to fix, it's just like hey, I just don't want to participate, or I just don't want to do. So we see that a lot. I don't we so like I don't have we don't have a, a lot of like we don't have slim lords or. You know anything like that it's gonna be active participants that are in their homes we give the clients the, the the right to reach out to us if there's an emergency issues and then we address those things head on
1: yeah and i think you hit the nail on the head like we never have even when we first started i, I we may have not passed one inspection here or there just as a learning curve but it was never anything uh that we thought was ridiculous but you hit the nail on the head like that's what jared and i always say when we're looking at buying a property or we buy a property and then renovate it i tell him all the time i'm like like it has to be someplace that i would live in and if it's not then we need to either sell not buy or you know improve it so Mm -hmm. I, i know i've always thought it was really fair um and as you you know i i'm really fond of cmha so what what do what does CMHA need to continue to grow and expand and help more people? Is it more units? Is it uh, more money from the government? Is it everything? I, I guess what 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 do you guys need the most to, to the most you know, the
0: help? most is going to be more units, like and that's city wide. So whether somebody is participating um, in a subsidized program or not, the lack of affordable housing altogether, all the way around is, um, not in a space that we need it to be Uh, Columbus is a growing city. We've had one of the hottest markets in the past five years running, right? So there's plenty of developers, um, plenty of, um, jobs coming here, right. Taking, taking up an abundance of space. For housing, a lot of people um, moving from s- suburbs back into urban areas, so there's a lot of renovations and things going going on. Uh, a lot of tax abatements that are being offered for properties, which is great. But I want I, I kind of want to touch on on that at, at some point
1: as yeah, well. do I was gonna I was gonna hit you up right on that. So go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, we see uh, the need for affordable housing, right? And I believe the city is doing doing their best to create a space where it is um, feasible for landlords to be able to afford what whatever we are asking them to do um, as a city, not as CMHA, but as a city in general on, on the things that we need. Um, the problem that I do see is that uh, some developers may um, know the code a little too well. Um, just kind of like if you know, if if you have a larger businesses and you know the tax code really well, right? And you know the loopholes and you know how to get around things. So if the city says, okay, hey, you're able to build this 252 unit property here, but uh, 10% has to be uh between the ranges of, you know, X and Z, right? They there's no stipulations of bedroom sizes and that's where I see the biggest problem. So a lot of times developers uh will create a lot of studios and put them in that price range and they have met their they have met the quota, right? So then did you are we really affecting the affordable housing crisis are we are we making a change here um not that studio apartments aren't needed because i feel like single individuals get left in the dust a lot um uh, with federal programming right because we're focused more on families
1: right yeah
0: so studios are studios are needed but the average the average family is at least two to three people
1: right yeah you've always told me three bedrooms uh well you told me one bedrooms too for like your your uh, elderly housing but but mm-hmm. three and maybe even four bedrooms are are, are crucial and i got well, I, well you're working with me right now i got a four bedroom coming on the market here in a couple of weeks so i'm excited uh about that it, columbus is growing and the real estate market as you know girl it, it is so different i, I was I I bet I've said this every day for the last six months. It is so different now than it was four years ago, five years ago. Yes. In good ways and bad ways, but it sure as hell is not affordable anymore. Like, we haven't bought a property in a year because everything is is overpriced. Columbus is growing. There's going to be, like, another million uh, uh, people, what, in the next seven years or something Mm -hmm. like that minimum? So, and there's a lot of development downtown, which is great, but correct me if I'm wrong. What I'm seeing is a lot of A-class, beautiful buildings going in because there is a lot of, you know, technology and higher paying jobs coming in. But what I'm also seeing is that the affordability uh, component of affordable units, affordable housing is being pushed out. I don't know where it's going. So is, is, that, actually, is that happening here in Columbus? And- yes. Yeah. Okay. It is,
0: Um, and kind of what I alluded to before, there are um, a lot of times there are affordable components tied into a lot of these properties, um, but it really just depends on the property and what they agree to uh, in order to develop wherever they're developing. Right? Um, It doesn't fit the need, and I'm trying to figure out where people are going to go. So that's my biggest my you know if we're just being honest here i have no idea where people are going um if you if people were originally right pushed out of um pushed out of uh, renting in the suburbs right so that created hotbed of urban available only for affordable housing for quite for quite a few years right And when everyone was on the suburban kick, I'm going to move out to the suburbs. That's the American dream. That's what we're doing. Cool. But then that wasn't available for everyone. Right. As much as we like to think that things are equal and fair, which just wasn't right. And then now, so you got people out in the suburbs, but then now there is a groundswell to get back to the urban core.
1: Right, right.
0: So then, where do the people go? No one provides housing for not even just like when I say affordable, I mean, even workforce. I live in workforce housing myself. That means that if someone that makes, let's say, you know, a, a decent salary of you know anywhere from forty thousand to dollars twenty, one hundred and twenty thousand. You're in that middle range. You're not quite at the you know at the top one percent, right? And you're and you're not necessarily at the at the baseline of, of of the of the poverty line, right? Where do those people fit? Which is where that affordable piece comes into it. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's Section Eight. Or that it is um, PBV, or that it is any of these other steps, or low income tax credit. They might not fit within those within those uh, within those ranges, but workforce housing kind of makes it to where it caps off at a certain point, so that you're not charging three thousand dollars for a one bedroom apartment, or you know three thousand dollars for a studio like like we're like we're beginning to see around the city. So just making sure that people understand that affordability has so many different sub meanings to it. It just it's it can be market. Yeah. It just needs to be a it needs to be within the average median income. Yeah. the residents in in which the city, you know, has.
1: Right. Kent came into town a couple of weeks ago before he did his world tour Shay and we I, uh, we didn't get to drive around like all of downtown obviously but I, I showed him around and Ken you saw some of the beautiful yeah it's nice infrastructure but like I drive around I was just driving around today at, at the, the two residential properties that I just purchased and I'm just shaking my head I'm like oh my gosh there are cranes everywhere and everything and I'm happy for like you say I'm happy for the city because everything is becoming really nice but all mm-hmm. It's going to be Nashville before I was in Nashville a couple of months yeah. ago and been in six years. and it is unaffordable, overbuilt, and brand, everything's brand new. But I'm like, where do do the people who make workforce, you know income live? It, it's it's a, almost an epidemic right now in Columbus for sure.
0: No, so you can't buy a house right now. I mean, you could, but your interest rates are going to be absolutely absurd. Right. And you can't rent an apartment for the size of the family that you need. What do you we're stuck with? What do we do? Right.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think T I mean Shay, I think you're teeing this up perfectly for our next questions, which is like, hey, we just want to understand why is affordable housing so hard to solve for. And you talked about the the different levels of complexity from the stigmas to various government programs, you talked about tax abatement. And I think you were trying to mention, like, hey, certain developers get property tax exemptions if you put in a certain amount of affordable housing units, right? Okay. So make sure the listeners follow that correctly. And I think for hearing from your perspective, I think it's gonna be so important, Shay. It's like, hey, if you, why do you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for? And if there's like one or two things that you think that we should work on in this generation, what do you think they should be? Because the whole point of this podcast this is the question we ask everybody is eventually when we compile all these thoughts together, we're getting another piece of the puzzle. And I, I don't think affordable housing is impossible to solve for, but mm-hmm. it definitely takes a lot of people and a lot of knowledge and a lot of great ideas to kind of make it happen. So we'd love to kind of hear your perspective, share coming from the public side.
0: It's very political, right? So that is, um, I would say, where I would like things to change where I would like things to transition, um, with this generation and moving forward. Right. Um, it's hard to make decisions for people that you've never been in a position of those people.
2: Mm, right? Great point.
0: Or you don't active, or you're not actively involved, um, a- enough to have the knowledge. Right. So, um, if you have people making decisions for 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 those people they don't know the different aspects of those things so they can just not you know not in in bad faith but just the lack of the, the sheer lack of knowledge or you look over something that might be extremely important right so if let's just take literacy right so there there are a ton of people that have literacy issues right so when you're talking about leases when you're talking about all of these different things, and, and and then you say, hey, this person should know, and it's like, well, did you account for the population, right? If you moved yourself into an area and that specific area is making a turn, you're obviously gonna, like you don't get to just create what you want there. The people are already there. You have to kind of figure out and navigate. Um, What's there and how do you and how do you help? Um, we can't. We also need to not be self-serving. That's a big thing, right? So if I can say the top two things is not being not being self-serving. Um, we have to look at the bigger picture. If you don't leave anything for um, the people that come after us, or you don't set the example now, it's going to get worse. Um, it's it's gonna get it's just gonna get worse over time and and no one's gonna be able to help anyone. The lack of knowledge um, is also a, a huge thing as well. So being able to um, understand legislation, understand what's mm-hmm. going to, um city, local city, state, and 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 federal, the things that are being passed. You know, we get into voting booths a lot, and we just you know we we select yes or no on a levy that we have no idea mm. what
1: that means Great point. Right?
0: so being able to understand how um how you affect change and that change is not like kind of like how you said it's not um it's not that it can't happen is that you have to, you have to want to know correct how to. You have to want to know how. So, uh...
2: Oh, Shay, I mean, you said that so well, too. I, I mean, we get into politics and we talk about sometimes folks are making decisions for people that they, they have no idea what they really want. They want to <laughs> tell them what they want instead of listening to them about what they want. And I think mm-hmm. that was so beautifully said, Shay, because earlier I want to touch on the point you mentioned about mixed income housing. And then mm-hmm. I'm really curious to understand from your perspective, your experience, like what have you seen work? In this space because i've heard of folks where they said hey we can't just create a whole building of low-income housing because you might create a, a poverty pit for lack of better words because then you don't have a system or services to support like some of the issues that you talked about about literacy how do you make sure that people have public transportation access to food it's not just you just plop a building anywhere and just like hey go figure it out that doesn't that stuff doesn't work so i'm really curious if to hear from your experience now that you guys own about 4,700 units, like where have you guys seen success? Like, is it mixed income housing? Is it mm-hmm. definitely affordable housing with services? I'm just curious to hear uh, your thoughts. On what I works. think that
0: we've seen success in all. You just have to, there just has to be a wide range in the city. Right. So mm-hmm. yes, I agree. You can't just, um, we, we kind of get back to going backwards into redlining, Right. If we do, mm. um, put everyone in a specific area, right? Um, We don't want to go backwards. History will repeat itself. And so um, mixed income has seen a lot of success. A lot of um, properties that we have that are mixed income, people don't even know it's mixed income. They have not the slightest clue. They don't, they don't, a lot of times, like unless they go look and take a deep dive, they have no idea that we own it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: They have no idea. And that's and that's a good thing and a bad thing. Right. Because one, it's a good thing because of the stigma attached to it. Right. right. Um, and we don't want anyone trying to figure out who their neighbor is or, you know, all you need to know is that there's a respect level <laughs> when you meet okay. your neighbor, you have, you know, that that kind of throws some of that out the window right there. And you, you have no idea, you know, if you walk through the door and you're saying, oh, they're, they're going to be just like this or, you know, it just doesn't, it's, it's not always the case. A majority of our program are elderly or disabled. Okay. And most people have not, don't even know that. So, if you know, when kind of to your point earlier, when you're saying, oh, well, you know, landlords may say, oh, people may tra- trash the unit or may do, a lot of the people that we serve are elderly or disabled. Right. so We have to kind of get away from that narrative. You're going to have a few bad apples. I'm not going to sit here and say that that you do not. But that is with the market in general. You cannot guarantee. That the person that you rent to that does not receive a housing subsidy is not going to trash your unit. Right. It is your job as a landlord and what I drive home to landlords all the time is to it. It's, it's your credit screening. It's your background screening. It's your all of those different things. It's the housing choice voucher. The landlord picks the tenant and the tenant picks the landlord.
1: Yeah. Yep. You
0: know, so we kind of leave it in their hands so that it's not as forcing people on people, if that makes any sense. Right.
2: Absolutely. And I think that makes perfect sense because we had another guest on a podcast. He helps folks find Section 8 housing in the Detroit market. And he surveyed about 400 landlords and property manager companies. And he said, hey, 24% of the market rate tenants actually cause damage above a certain threshold compared to 4% of Section 8 tenants.
0: Yeah.
2: And I'm not sure if that's a stat you guys track at Columbus because mm-hmm. that would be an amazing stat to share because we need to bust these myths that Section 8 tenants are going to come in and trash your home. That is not the case. You mm-hmm. still have to do like you said, Shay. Screen your tenants due to proper business fundamentals. Right. It's like every person come that comes to do does not mean they're they a fit for your home. You have to screen them. You have to uh, ask the right questions and make sure that they are qualified to live at your home. Just like any business out there, they qualify their least before they try to make a sale. You are selling your home to a tenant in this situation, mm-hmm. but you have to provide an outstanding product, which is right. your unit to that resident so that they can want they can and want to stay in your unit for as long as possible because that lowers your expense at the same time i think that's just a point that people forget about because when they hear Housing choice voucher is government subsidized the government will pay to rent on time every single month regardless of what happens they just kind of take their eye off the ball and that's definitely not the case so i don't know do you have any numbers like if not would love to kind of get a sense from you like hey do you guys track number of like damages caused by voucher tenants we
0: we keep a list if it's mm -hmm. a vote a specific amount because at that point, then um, what we did was added in our administrative plan that if it's above uh, a specific threshold or if Mm -hmm. it's something egregious, they need to report it directly to us and then also go and get a judgment on the tenant so that we can hold those tenants responsible. A lot of times when tenants, whether it's CMHA or any other housing authority, what we've what I've seen and heard across the country is people are not um, they're not following through. Right. So then those same people mm-hmm. stay on the program and go somewhere else because you as a landlord did not follow through with doing what was required in order for us to remove that individual from the program.
2: So it just and that's the other great point. Goes. You also hold your voucher holders accountable mm-hmm. for some oh. of your market rate tenants. Guess what? When you, when you, when they're out, luck.
0: Luck,
2: <laughs> out of luck, you have to go to court to evict victim and you got to fight this long battle. At least here you have an additional third party that is also equally vested in the interest of expanding supply for, yes. for the housing and for the city. So. so
0: when I, uh, created the landlord relations position, um, that I was previously in there. I, I literally took three months to do nothing but interview landlords to find out where where are the shortcomings? What are we Amazing. doing well, What are we not doing well? What can we improve upon? What do you want to see? Do you have any suggestions? How do you know? I literally spent months gathering information so that we could um, put out new initiatives Right, and a lot of those new initiatives are are in place. So whether it's timeframes of um, the back and forth of the emails for documentation, there were documents that condensed five different documents into one. You know those kind of things. Or if um, you were having an issue with a tenant, but you didn't want to evict them, or you didn't want to put them out, but they probably just needed a conversation. Those things we're not responsible to do, but we do we do them anyway, you know, because we want to make sure that one, we're setting up the residents for success. But we're also wanting to make sure that landlords are successful, too. You have a business to run. And we understand that just like we run a business. We understand that they run a business as well.
1: Yeah. And I can I can vouch for everything. I've been quiet. This is the longest I've been quiet in a long time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So. no, everything that Shay has said for the last five minutes or so, I can vouch for. I don't have the statistics, but on um, like damage or evictions, but I can tell you we have 168 units in the Columbus area. I don't know the percentage, good number are Section 8 CMHA uh, tenants, and we've I know we've evicted zero of them. And day one, well, yeah, day one, Shay came out to the property, and I showed her that I wasn't full of crap, and and she was like, yeah, this is great. And she looked at me then and said, <clears throat> if you have any problems with any of our clients, any of the Section 8 Eight tenants, you come to me first, and I'm going to make sure that it never happens again. And she, you even gave me little tips. Like, if you see the, the blinds in the windows, she was giving me Landlord 101. Like, if you see... The blinds may be cracked. Uh, it may be time to go in and change the air filter and make sure everybody's okay and acting right. And um, it, it was, you know, uh, there was some hand-holding there. And, and uh, I tell you what, the, the, the tenants um, that we have gotten from from Shea, and I missed the hell out of you in that old position, I'll just say that again, um, have, have been fantastic. They're, 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 in most cases, they're our best renters, uh, for sure, for sure.
0: I think that it comes a lot too with um even like w- where you were saying, like the hand holding. I think we just truly want to be a change agent, right? So whether it's offering landlord workshops, created those. I sat on a million panels and seminars with landlords in the city, whether it is CMHA related or not, right. on what to look for. These are the different things that, that you do. Here are some. Here's some things that you should do throughout uh, one year of your initial leasing contract. How often do you go into a unit? How, you know, a lot of people are, are, you know, they complain about damages or anything. But if people have been in your unit for five years and you've seen that unit once, that is on you as a landlord. Right. And so some of some of that is tough love that I give to, you know, tough love and tough conversation that I say, hey, well, what did you do? X, Y, Z, anything I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you to do, whether it's a market tenant that is not receiving subsidy or somebody underneath CMHA's umbrella. And that's because it's your business. So you want to make sure that that your asset is fine. I know that in my current position, I'm making sure that my assets are fine every day. And I have I have 14 large properties and a park and a daycare.
1: Well, it's, it's amazing when you started that, uh, uh, was it landlord relations position, the fact that you spent that much time getting to know the other side of things is, I mean, kudos to you. That, that, that is the perfect way to start. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, and I, I think that's, that's why you were so successful um, in, in what you did. That was absolutely amazing.
2: Yeah. And Shay, I think we have to commend you on here. Like not everyone's willing to go above and beyond to truly make it work to become that change agent. And that's probably one of the reasons why some affordable housing programs are not as successful because there's not enough handholding. And I think one key thing that you're probably doing, and we might not have said it yet, is like you're removing the fare out of the landlord's position. And that allows people to get more involved in affordable housing. Like, We talked about the stigmas earlier, and one of the reasons we have you on the podcast is like one, two. How do we demystify the process so people actually understand? Hey, what does it mean to invest in affordable housing, and Mm -hmm. what happens when there are problems? Because if you tell people like, "Hey, this might happen, but this is how you resolve it," now Mm -hmm. they can say, "Well, I'm not, I'm no longer scared of that problem because boom, Shay gave me this tip to look for this in the blinds, and if that happens, then I know what to do." Shay, maybe. Are you able to provide some advice? It seems like you're you're just a gold mine. You're full of gems here. Uh, <laughs> any other things you can uh, advise that you might be able to give to new landlords for things to look out for? Maybe you can expand a little bit on that blind thing that you were telling Dan about. I think that would be really <laughs> cool to like I, understand. I was-
0: I was just telling uh, Dane that, hey, if you start to see, you know, more than one cracked blind at that point, we especially if they're the the new, the new, the newer blinds that everyone is beginning to use are those faux woods, right? It takes a minute to break those that you have to be doing some serious moving around there unless you have uh, pets or something like that, that are constantly in your, constantly in the blinds. Also be one of, I know landlords don't like to be responsible sometimes for, uh, light bulbs, put that on your list of duties Great because one. that gets you, that, that gets you in your unit. Okay. So exterior, you know, offer it, Hey, as an incentive of you renting with me, I'm willing to do boom, 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 right. Make those things, things that are uh, beneficial to yourself as an owner. So Great
2: tip. Wow. Yes. Great tip there.
0: If you, you know, do a quarterly uh, or a a half year uh, filter change, right? That gives you access to your unit. At the end of the day, you own the property. Don't feel like you, that you cannot see your property obviously don't do it in excess. I'm not saying go in once a month or whatever the case whatever the case may be. If it's quarterly, if it's you know in a half a year, I, I can tell you what I do currently, which is as an asset manager, which essentially is the owner, right? So I'm the owner for all of our properties. I do a quarterly inspection at my properties because we own it. I don't just leave it to my management company to run. Right. There's checks and balances. I'm inside of units on those. I pick if you have a larger um, if you have a a larger portfolio of units, then, you know, pick a handful, three every quarter and do a random, you know, I'm going to randomly go and check out check out the property. Make sure you're looking at your landscaping, seeing if people are, you know, damaging the grass, you know, all that all that kind of stuff kind of gives you a telltale sign. Um, but when you don't lay eyes on your properties,
1: yeah,
0: a lot of times our clients also don't leave for long periods of time, right? So you can have somebody there for five years, six years, and if you if you never go in, there's you know, what does that say about you as a landlord as well, right? Like, do you care about your property? I would I would care about my property. I want to see it, you know. Um, A lot of investors um, or developers or landlords, owners, whichever terminology they want, you know, want to be used. um, A lot of them in Columbus right now are based out of town.
1: That's you just hit. Yes. uh, Preach on that for a second. I was going to talk to you about that.
0: We I I love the movement. Right. Kudos to everyone expanding business. I get it. Um, But you have to have eyes and ears in whatever city that you are owning property in. Um, I own property in Florida. I have a property manager that's going to oversee that I'm going to check in with. You can't self-run and then only do uh, contract out like things that you need, like plumbing or all of those different things. If you have one property Okay, I can understand that, right? The overhead of paying for uh, a manager might be a, a little too much for the budget for, for your year, right? It, it just doesn't make sense. But if you have five or four or five or more properties, invest in having someone, even a part time person or on call, whatever the case is, and set up the parameters within that contract um, that they go and walk units take pictures of the property and send it to you, those kind of things, right? Because you don't like surprises as an owner. Um and that will help prevent that.
1: Yeah. And that's something, Kent, I, I beat this over Kent's head is everybody still sees Columbus, especially five years ago, like we were talking about, as a very affordable place to invest in real estate. And mm-hmm. five years ago now it's getting a little more competitive. But what jared and i were seeing we were getting outbid by a lot of people from new york california uh seattle uh florida uh, on occasion because they see how affordable it is and then that once they get involved then they realize oh okay this is not as affordable and whatever it may be that it's not as affordable as we thought we don't know what the hell we're doing uh we're busy with other ventures Oh, it's affordable housing. Who the hell cares? You know, who knows what they're thinking?
0: Or they're looking to flip.
1: Or they yeah. But most of the time, we would then see those properties three years later, and the grass is up to my hips. Jared and I are talking about buying it from these people, and the value had had you know dropped down. So I think that's a big part of it too. And I I I I, I wish there was a way to promote local more local ownership too. Not just because I am local, but just because there tends to be more people than on site. In um, you know, I always say I invest where I, I live so I can drive at the very most, what, 30 minutes one way and see the building, talk to the tenants, talk to the landlords. Um, you know, I'm on my properties at least once a month, usually twice a month, even if it's just a quick drive through to make sure there's no trash in, in the yards and um that you know there's no wear and excessive wear and tear I've got one question for you mm-hmm. and uh there may not be an answer to this but but it's something that it's just the way my mind works and I got a 12 year old daughter who's looking at me through the the glass doors here and I tell her all the time, uh, sometimes you have to make things happen. If, if if it's something that you really want, you have to listen to the universe or the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to talk about. But sometimes if it's something, you got to make it happen. And we've got people that listen to this podcast that have high net worths and and uh, enjoy what Kent and I are talking about and our investors. Is there a way with somebody that, If somebody had a big, big, big checkbook, is there a way that that they could get involved and help on a major scale in terms of, you had mentioned, you know, CMHA needs units. Is there a way that they could get involved in that? And if so, how, what would that look like? Because if you give me, I've been thinking about this for five years and I've been like, man, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what that answer would be but if you, if you have the answer i'll make it happen you know I, i'm going to start making phone calls and 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 dialing it up and see if we can can get some progress
0: so what i would suggest is purchasing within the city not necessarily a partnership because i want a partnership with CMHA and in, in ownership of any sort but in uh, the form we, in the form of these are uh, we talked a, a lot about like all the old hotels all you know all yeah. all the stuff spread out uh, throughout the city. I remember you were thinking about doing something then at that point, right? Yeah. Um, and there's so many things available that people don't want to touch. Those are the things that you that that you make happen, right? Um, even us in our acquisition strategy there were several buildings that are historic in nature right and we had to go in and create something brand new the harris which is one of the um if if not the first um black early child uh child care uh schools was completely ran down and we went in and created 10 Amazing, unique units that are, um, like literally amazing. Like you, they're they're so cool, and it gives the opportunity for people in workforce housing to have another option.
1: Yeah,
0: right. So, the those kind of things, and that way, you can, as an owner, you can also get your get your ROI. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't have to be beholden to any other major company, right? if we do a purchase of any sort, a lot of times uh, property, um, sorry, uh, project-based vouchers are going to be attached to it or something like that. You want to be able to kind of move however you want to move as an owner. Um, maybe you want to offer up 15 to 20% of that property to, uh, residents that, that receive, that receive a voucher. Right. And in reality with the new ordinance, it just, It's technically your whole property, you know, if they qualify because they don't um, you you don't get to tell them no based based strictly on that. So if they qualify for something, then they qualify for it.
1: Yeah. And that that hotel deal you're referencing, like literally I got that to the finishing line.
0: What was it? Zoning? Was it a zoning issue?
1: I got zoning on board finally. Yeah. But man, Mm -hmm. that was that was a lot of that was just me going through it the first time but i got it to the finishing line where zoning was on board um i signed the agreement faxed it over or i'm sorry emailed it over and then the seller refused to refuse to sign because that would have been i think if i remember correctly 99 units Mm -hmm. they even jumped on board like writing a a letter um to the lender i believe saying, look we'll take them all like
0: like you won't have any problems filling them if that's you yeah. Know. yeah. Give, them, give them this money, please. Oh, so i so
1: hard on that. I worked so hard. When when that <laughs> fell apart, I went into a depression. I I literally didn't work for a week. Oh no. Yeah, I was just busted. I'm like, oh.
0: So. Oh, in housing, you'll learn disappointment <laughs> with grace. Like, you, like there's no telling it. Like you're gonna have some really high highs and some really low lows.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Now, does, does CMHA partner with landlords and, and uh, people like myself, or is that not an option?
0: I won't say that it's not an option. We do. It is very few and in between based on what we, you know, track record What we've seen, because obviously we are attached to a city brand. And so it's a little bit different when we're quasi-government. Yeah. And we want, we need our hands clean as much as possible. Sure. Um, So it really just depends on uh, the other stakeholder and what's being brought to the table. If it's something new and unique or there's something that we just can't say no to, then it's just like, hey, we're going to have a conversation.
1: But let's have some conversations. Look how adorable
0: I am. You know how to to reach me. (laughs)
1: Yeah, <laughs> I need to find the buildings, the properties. Everything's so hyperinflated price wise right now. Trust mm-hmm. me, I, I was on a call yesterday with a guy worth a hundred million dollars, and he's like, "I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Just be patient." I'm like, "All right, I'll be patient." <laughs>
0: yeah, like it's and it's being felt everywhere. We are not even we're not exempt. There's mm-hmm. certain moves that we couldn't make this year so far uh, that was the, that was on the pipeline for us that we had to just pull back from. Because it was just, it just didn't align, you know, and it, it just, sometimes it's not always going to work out. Um, and we've kind of gone uh, a lot more to um, some new builds too in the meantime, while we figure mm-hmm. some things out um, so that we can keep the ball rolling. The, the goal is to constantly have affordable housing rolling through every year we, we try to add at least 500 units a year.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah, you're pivoting and like I'm pivoting. I'm there's no multi-family uh that's that's affordable right now, so I'm pivoting into single family and, and mm-hmm. being involved that way and so I I get it. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, we serve 165,000 residents right now. Yeah. Um, so there are people on the program, there are landlords housing these people, right? But there are so many more that need yeah. assistance that, that we just cannot, we, we can't reach, you know, fast enough.
1: Yeah. So if Gosh. you're an investor listening, Kent, we got to get them <laughs> uh, involved here, hit, hitting us up and uh, investing in Columbus. Let's make it happen.
2: Absolutely. Well, Shay, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I thank you before this call. I want to thank you again for coming on here and sharing so much value for removing the fear from some of the people that are looking to invest in affordable housing. Seriously, without people like you, I, I think every guest here is like without people like you, seriously, I would not have had an upbringing that I had become the man that I am today, had an amazing family. So thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for helping hundreds of thousands of people. Like that is an amazing, staggering number. For you to be a part of, and I hope we can one day have you come back on and just hear what you're doing on your front with CM McChay and seeing how it's growing and expanding. But thank you so much, Shay. And people want to reach out to you, Shay. Like, can they find Uh you on LinkedIn? How can they find get in touch with you? Yes,
0: my name is Shay Mock on LinkedIn. I believe I am the only Shay Mock there.
2: Oh, I love it.
0: That's a thing. Um, Feel free to reach out to me there. If there's housing specific questions or you need some advice on Mm -hmm. something, I'm not shy when it comes to my email. They can feel free to email me as well. Love it. Um, And that uh, is smock at cmhanet.com. So smock at cmhanet.com. Feel free. Uh, And if I don't know the answer, I'll, I'll find an answer for you or send you to someone who has the answer.
2: Wow. Thank you so much, Shay, for being so open and sharing your email and even that that is amazing. So that's how we know you absolutely love what you do. So thank you so much for coming on to the show, Shay. I hope to have you 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 back soon.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Shay.